This morning we're going to be in Revelation 17 again. And I apologize in advance, but it's too bad. <laughs> I'm going to try not to go long, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does go a little bit. I'm going to try and have a little bit of speed in this. But we're in Revelation 17, the series Revelation, the time is near. And every week that goes by, it gets nearer and nearer. The title of this morning's message is Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon. If we look back at Revelation, we saw that John was on Patmos. John was Jesus' disciples. He saw Jesus revealed in glory uh, in that Lord's Day. It talks about the end of the world as we know it, the Great Tribulation, those seven years, unlike any other seven in the world, uh, the last before Jesus' return and rule and reign. There's judgment on the nations and those who follow Satan, and it's very clear that they are following Satan himself in this time and day, and they're aware of that. But it's also, like we said, a last-ditch effort to get the world to repent. God always wants the world to repent. Even in judgment, he doesn't dole it out all right away. He spread it out that people might have a chance to turn. And if that's you listening, you always have a chance to turn while you're still breathing. Revelation is the past, the present, and the future revealed. We think of it as just the future revealed. But Revelation reveals the things, especially that we're going to look at today, that have always been going on since the beginning of the world, basically. Well, since the fall of man. It is the end revealed. It is the church revealed. It started out with Jesus speaking to the churches. And the churches throughout history. And the churches in the last days. The church's heart revealed. It's also heaven revealed. We get a look into heaven. Paul said, it would be unlawful for me to speak. And yet God gave it to John to give us a glimpse into heaven. And yet I think even this, it would be unlawful for us to try and truly determine how great heaven is but it's also jesus revealed that jesus is revealed in his power and his glory through revelation the fact that uh, he is a lamb but he's also a powerful lion and today we're going to look at babylon revealed babylon revealed i don't necessarily just mean that city in iraq i mean babylon and we're going to look into that previously we saw a world in allegiance with a world leader with a mark they worshiped him Many judgments, plagues, disasters, famine, death came upon them. The martyrs in the last days were killed and had to have had, to have had a number of them uh, fulfilled before their time came. But we kept seeing no repentance from those who took the mark. In fact, they would double down in their blasphemy the more God's judgment would come upon them. They doubled down in their allegiance to Satan and his kingdom and, and earthly authority. We saw those seven angels come out of the temple in heaven last time. They were given seven bowls of the wrath of God called the seven last plagues. We saw them poured out upon the earth in awful ways. And what? Still no repentance. And God, if we come to your word and there's no repentance, God, in us, God, bring conviction. God, soften us to your word that we would repent while there's still time. Anyone listening, anyone who's reading the Bible or in church this morning, repent and come to you because God you're gracious and merciful and kind and like we said during communion that you don't treat us as our sins deserve and God you don't want to treat them as their sins deserve you want to flower them with gifts and robes and a great life God so do that we pray by your spirit but God as we're here reading your word please speak to us as only you can we look to you and we thank you for it we thank you that it even interprets itself and if we just read it as Revelation says we would be blessed so we ask that in Jesus name Amen. 
And as we get into chapter 17, like many people do, and in some sense rightfully so with Revelation, we begin to panic. It's a little mysterious at first. What am I reading? And Just calm down and slow down, and as we read it, it will explain itself, and we'll dig a little bit deeper, hopefully, to get a better understanding of what we're seeing here in this chapter of Revelation, uh, which is pretty visceral. So we're going to take it in little chunks to hopefully break it up. Um, And let's read the first two verses of chapter 17 together. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, John says, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. Again, if you can, imagine me and John. You're one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus ascends and goes to heaven. You begin to spread the gospel and help plant the church and write letters to the church. And the government ends up coming against you. And you get uh, apparently tried to be killed and sent off to Patmos. You're on Patmos by yourself, probably wounded and scarred and old, still worshiping God. You've doubled down on your faith in the Lord as things have gotten harder. And one day, God takes you into heaven. You're not dead. And he begins to show you the things that are coming. He says, John, you're the one. You're the one that was in love with me uh, in a holy way. And I want to show you these things. And he's seen all these things so far. And another angel comes over to him. One of these angels who came out of the temple who poured out the wrath. And he, I get the sense almost casually he talks to John. Not that it's casual, it's heaven, it's uh, judgment. But comes over and says, hey John, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to show you the judgment of this great prostitute. I'm gonna, come, come with me. Let me go show you something, right? How many times do I have my kids? Hey Jake, hey Mia, hey Alicia, hey Timmy, come here. I want to show you something. And this angel does this. And I believe it's part of the benefit in being in God's court. Of being close with God. Not that you are godly on your own, but you just desired God. You sought Him. You're not perfect, but you love God because you know God loves you. And so what happens? God begins to casually, sometimes distinctly, sometimes seriously, sometimes intimately, sometimes just, by the way, reveal things to you. I don't know how many times I've gone to the movies or watched a movie and God will use it to speak to me something, right? It's not scripture. I don't go home and jot it down. Spider-Man said this. But because I love the Lord and I know he loves me, he'll use things to minister to me. But it's even more than that. That God will give insight into things that are going on in your personal life, insight the things that are going on in your friends or your loved ones' lives as you begin to pray for them, as you seek them. He'll give you discernment and wisdom like we're talking about on Wednesday nights. Sometimes even the gift of knowledge about something going on there. He'll make you aware to what's really going on in the world. And it's all because you're really close to Jesus and you have his name on and over your life. I could talk about in Proverbs, seeking wisdom and just wisdom is going to bless you. Well, we are coming out of Walmart yesterday after getting Ashley's prescription after coming back from the hospital. Thankfully, she's relatively okay. But I'm coming out. I got my hands full. And I see this car go by. It's a relatively new car. It has Illinois plates. And Illinois, if you don't know, is far from Montana. 
And the plates look a little funny too. They look almost like paper plates, but it's hard to tell. And what struck me next was that there was a young child, maybe nine, in the front seat. I'm thinking, that's weird. You shouldn't put your child in the front seat. The airbag is dangerous. I'm like, okay, well, maybe they're just moving and parking. Well, the car pulls up next to me, and the, the guy looks a little shady. He's got a kid in the front seat, a woman in the back seat, and another kid. And he starts speaking to me in a thick accent that's hard for me to understand. But I just you sometimes get that gut. Like, something's off here. I already saw something off of the car. I already saw something off of the kid in the front seat. And now he's off telling me that he's in, he's got, uh, he's in, he needs my help with something. But he doesn't sound distressed. The people don't look distressed in the car. In fact, they look a little, like, wary of what's going on. And he's asking me that he needs, needs my help for something. Okay, well, I've got all my hand, my hands are full here. But I'll try and hear you out. And it's hard to understand what he's saying. And he pulls out a ring to give me a ring to help. I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't help you. I, you know, I don't know if you thought I had money or not, but the whole thing was weird. And then there was a Walmart guy putting away carts and he said, Hey, how you doing to me? And I said, Hey, and I began to tell him about the guy in the car and the guy speeds off out of the parking lot. Okay. Well, as I tell the guy what goes on, right? Like he's like, that's weird. I wish I took a picture and he radioed one of the other guys. I'm like, just nothing fit. I was t- Ashley came out of again to explain to her. I'm like, nothing fit here, right? I have no problem helping somebody out. But I'm not going to approach your car when you're trying to hand me some sort of ring, which looks gold, but I can tell is not real. I'm like, just something's off here. If you really had a problem, you'd get out. you talk to the Walmart employee. you talk to other people. You wouldn't speed off, right? Just so many things didn't add up there. And I felt bad in ways. I want to help people. But at the same time, you got to be wise. And I started Googling last night. Well, duck, duck, going. I don't use Google. But we're watching a movie and I start searching. And I keep finding all these things about scams where people would do that. Offer this fake ring. Here's some money. I'll go to the ATM. Give me $2,000. I'll pay you $5,000 back. Well, if the guy really needed money, there's a million pawn shops in town. He could have gone and hocked it. But you know he's not going to because it's a brass ring. That's my point is that a little bit of wisdom can sometimes let you listen to that gut feeling or pay attention to the circumstances and know that nothing adds up here. And I hope they're okay, especially hope and pray those children are okay. But I think the same thing can happen spiritually. As we spend time with the Lord, as we listen to the scriptures, as we pray, we're just around good teaching and good fellowship and seeking the Lord. As things happen around us in the world, we'll start to realize that they don't add up. We may not know why, but we're going to go, that doesn't make sense. They're saying that, but it doesn't look like that, and it doesn't feel like that, and it doesn't bear fruit like that. And I don't really know what's going on, but I know it doesn't add up. And I say that, I think, because hopefully we'll get to the point of it. And he says, John, I'm going to show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sets on many waters. What in the world is that? (laughs) There's some weird lady sitting on an ocean on many waters? Well, we'll get to it. And it said that prostitution is the oldest profession on earth. People like the, the spouses. It's the best profession on earth. I would disagree because it's not an honorable, profession is an honorable word. I would say that, in fact, ruling over man and fellow man is truly the oldest profession on earth. All the way back to the garden. What did Satan want to do? He wanted to rule over man. What did Eve want to do? She wanted to rule over her husband, right? And they didn't want to listen to God. And then their children... They wanted to rule over each other. 
And then all these kingdoms and people and wars came up. So I would say that is the oldest profession. And I think that we'll see as we get through this that perhaps that's not far off. He says that the kings of the earth commit adultery with her. That these kings of the earth commit adultery with this evil woman who's over the waters. And throughout the Bible, we see adultery equated with idolatry. That God's people, when they committed idolatry, such like with some of the prophets, he would use the prophet to pursue after an unfaithful woman to represent God pursuing after his unfaithful people. But the kings of the earth commit adultery with her. And it says the inhabitants of the earth are made drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. I believe they're uh, both made by it in some sense, by their own partaking of it, right? They're drunk by the things that she's got, that she puts out, that she offers free to everyone. The kings of the earth have already been involved with her. The people that are under begin to partake of it either willingly, but I think also uh, coerced coerced into it by the rulers, the rich, the powerful, the influencers, the leaders of the world who have hook, line, and sinker gone into this, now disseminated down to the population, either by uh, influence or by decree. And the angel says to John, I will show you the judgment of her. That what we're about to read really sets up who she is and whose hand she's destroyed by. And chapter 18, the next chapter, which we'll look at soon, extols her fall. There's songs about her fall, either both good and bad in a way. But let's go on to verse 3 through 6. It says, Then he carried him away into the spirit, in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filth of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. How would you like to be the mother of prostitutes and all the abominations of the earth? I don't think so. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, John says, I marveled greatly. Like, what in the world? This is crazy. This is fantastical. This is creepy. Like the picture I have for the kids of the color. What in the world? But I want them to see it, and that's about it. But he says he was carried away by the Spirit into the wilderness. Right? I don't know if you remember the Matrix. I picture him kind of zooming off like they did the showman different things there. But this is not a vision like we saw others over the Crystal Sea. That this is, in a sense, more grounded in reality. This angel is taking John by the Spirit, like we've seen other prophets throughout the Bible, taken off by the Spirit, to show them behind the scenes in, in the quote-unquote real world, the quote-unquote creation. The place that we live in behind the scenes. He's pulling the curtain back. I've never seen The Wizard of Oz. And it's been so long and it's been such a meme with me that I'm purposely never going to see it. But my kids will probably watch it. That there was a curtain, right? So behind the scenes, who's really in control? But if we remember that God created creation as a garden, as a fruitful place, as a holy place, as a good place, as a place where you could go around and not have to worry about things. But when sin came, sin transformed that garden into a wilderness 
And I believe John is transported by the Spirit to see creation as it is now, a wilderness. And who's in this creation? This beast, these mountains, and this woman. And not to say that I believe that there's sort of like a Thanksgiving Day parade float of a woman floating behind the scenes, right? But it's a picture that throughout history that there are entities at work throughout all powers and cultures that's overarching. That, yes, the uh, Indians had this, and the Native Americans had this, and the Chinese had this, and the South Americans had this, but behind it all is a power working. And it's a spiritual power, and it's all laddering up to what is coming, I believe, very soon. In fact, is already here in, in many ways. Daniel 10.13, we see Daniel praying, and the angel finally gets to him after many days. He says, I was held up in battle with the prince of Persia. That there's an angel over that time over the Persian kingdom in Iran, Iraq, in the Middle East. The New Testament talks about spiritual powers, rulers behind the scenes, and even in other verses says that Jesus disarmed them. That because we have the Lord, that these powers are really just rattling and clanking against each other. And they, they might have power over us on earth physically, but they have zero power over us spiritually because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And Jesus defeated them. They may be able to martyr us, but they can't send us to hell like they want to do. And we're seeing all these people have taken the mark are definitely going to hell. But we see this woman on a scarlet beast, that scarlet being red, a brilliant red, and that, you know, we, colors have meaning. I'm a graphic designer, right? I know that certain colors evoke certain feelings, and it can change in culture and time and all that. If you go to all the fast food restaurants, they all basically have the same colors, red, yellow, orange, because those colors evoke warmth and hunger and food and ketchup and mustard. <laughs> but this brilliant red from the commentary, I stayed up late last night reading commentary, to kind of help understand it and make sure I wasn't going too far off the rails. But this brilliant red represents government. That this red beast represents the government of the world, right? And it's got many heads and many horns, so you see that it's this beast, right? It's not this single entity, it's this conglomerate of entities come together in a beast, an ugly creature, probably uglier than that picture the kids have. But government's in red. In our modern times, can you think of any governments in red? Communist flag, China, Soviet Russia. They all use this brilliant red. And communism, in just the past 150 years, has been one of the most controlling, tyrannical, murderous, and treacherous forms of government the world has ever seen. Just look at the 20th century. The millions and millions of murders and deaths have happened at the people's hands by their own governments. Their own governments that they help bring into power. The communist revolution brought in by the people. And then what happens? Well, we don't need the people anymore. We're in power. But I want to espouse to you that this is bigger than communism. Communism is a big threat. Socialism is a threat to freedom. But this is bigger than that. Communism is just like a slice of the pie. Satan's like, yeah, I've got even bigger plans than this for the world. And communism is pretty close. Except it, cut, except it makes government God. And there's another step after that. But it's a system that's been built on controlling man spiritually, physically, and eternally, this beast, away from God from the very beginning. Remember Satan in the garden, right? Did God really say? He started building power under himself and taking it away from God. One chunk, one verse, one truth at a time. That this final kingdom, this final ultimate power that we're going to see on the earth with multiple heads, multiple nations, multiple rulers are all going to be united into one large, nasty, ugly, stinky breath 
beast. And this woman is going to be riding on it. I want to remind you that government is not your friend. It is a beast. I am pro-government. I am anti-administration. Government was given by God, Romans said. But I'm anti the people who use it for their own gain. I am totally against anyone who would use government to oppress you and harm you. And it is our duty, as Thomas Jefferson said, uh, obedience to God is rebellion to tyranny. Now, our first goal as Christians is following the Lord. But how can we say that we love God if we don't love our neighbor, even if it's the government who's oppressing our neighbor? And governments continually grow. Government's a good thing, but it doesn't stop growing. Every new administration says, let's make some new laws. Let's pass some new stuff. No one ever says, hold on, guys, let's just wait and see if any of this works for a while. Let's see if we need to get rid of anything. Occasionally, they get rid of laws. Recently, they've gotten rid of some gun laws in, in certain free states, and now we've just gone back to the Constitution. Constitution says this. Let's just go with the Constitution. Other states have doubled down and gone the other way, but they always expand their power. The next group that comes in adds more laws and more laws and more laws and more laws. I mean, the IRS just hired 80,000 people. They're buying millions of dollars of guns and ammo. For what? They want your money. And they're going to figure out new ways to get your money. And they're going to take it by force at will. Well, I'm just, I'm just obeying the law. Well, they're going to make new laws until you're not obeying it. But this beast is unstoppable as it comes to power. It takes over everything in the world as it, as it comes to be. It's not dependent on specific rulers or powers. It's greater than that. If you don't serve its, its needs, it'll just devour you and throw you out. We look at that. Dr. Fauci was serving the needs of the powers that be. He was a spouse. And then all of a sudden, as the narrative fell apart, they threw him aside. Do we not see that with any government figures? As soon as they fall, oh, no, 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 throw them under the bus. We'll make him the scapegoat that we can continue maintaining our power. And we'll do whatever it takes to maintain that power. And we see it, and we'll talk about it later as well, but form the earth into multiple regions of power. NATO, UN, EU, BRIC. If you haven't heard of BRIC, it's the East's response to NATO. It's Brazil, Russia, India, China. They're rising up in power, and we're going down in power. It's no coincidence. Is it seven continents, ten leaders, seven regions, ten leaders? We'll see more later. But here's what the commentary says. A scholar named Tenney says, Babylon to the Jews was the essence of all evil, the embodiment of cruelty. Remember what they did to the Jews when they took them as captives. The foe of God's people and the lasting type of sin, carnality, lust, and greed. That's what Babylon was to them. So when they read this, they would intrinsically understand what Babylon was. And uh, the commentator says, Under the Antichrist, Babylon, in both its religious and commercial aspects, will have influence over the earth as never before. And I tell you, look around the world. Look at the influence of government and economy and a world economy nowadays. It's taken over and we've let it take over. Why? Because of our greed. We've outsourced everything, right? I'm not saying not to work with other countries, but we worked with countries that are our enemies just because they would... Build it for us cheaper. Unthinkable in the past. Well, this woman who's on this beast, the scarlet beast, she's wearing fine clothing, jewelry. She's rich. She's wealthy. She's desirable, right? She looks great. She looks fine. But in her are abominations. She's diseased. And what she offers is immorality. 
what she offers is God calls abomination. And there are a few things that God specifically calls abomination in the Bible that you could do. Uh, it's an interesting study to kind of search out and see all the things. I was looking at the different things God calls abomination. But here's several of them. Number one, I would believe, is the sins that define Sodom and Gomorrah. The homosexuality. It was their name, name to, their claim to fame. It was also men dressing as women and women dressing as men. God says, abomination. And it's not just even just like in a comedy you might see it happen. That's always been weird to me. It's further than that. It's lying lips. And it's also the abomination of desolation, the replacement of God in his rightful place on earth by Satan. And we see that happen uh, throughout the Great Tribulation. Are not these things the most prevalent things in society today being um, promoted in every avenue of media, of culture, of education, and even government, making them law, making these things have to be, and people resisting and saying no, and then the government going after the parents in Virginia because they don't want these things taught to their children? Is this not the same spirit that we're seeing here? Revelation 13.1. She is supported by the political power of the beast, uh, and on the other, that she is a dominant role and at least outwardly controls and directs the beast. It's kind of this hybrid situation. The beast is doing his thing and, and she's on it and she thinks she's kind of controlling it and the beast thinks that he's kind of in charge. It's this weird uh, uh, relationship. Another commentary says, uh, the people of the earth will think she looks quite religious and have the faith that everyone wants. Isn't she enlightened? Isn't this the new world? Isn't this uh, progress? Isn't this a great and wonderful thing to love everyone. Love is everywhere. And oh, it's so wonderful. And it's interesting that she's using, she's called a prostitute. She's using love and intimacy to get everyone hooked on her spiritual doctrine. Oh, we should be loving. We should be caring. And yes, we should as believers. But the love that God gives is a different love that the world gives. The love that God gives says things are right and wrong. The love that God gives says there are boundaries that create love. She's saying, no, do whatever you want, however you feel, be whoever you want. You're not who God created you to be. You're whoever you want to be. Even if it's obvious you're not. And it's unloving to say that you're not. If we look back, you know, there's an old book called The Scarlet Letter, a woman who was marked with red, right? And apparently it's a redemption story. I've never read it, but I thought it was interesting there. But if you look back at the ancient religion of Babylon, they had Semiramis and Tammuz. Semiramis was the mom, the queen of heaven. And she gave birth to a son miraculously. Sound familiar? And he was supposed to be a false messiah. And there was offerings to her and everything. And you'll see a lot of that in actually Catholicism. But it was false. Satan's been trying to copy God's design from the beginning. And he's trying to copy God's design now. One world government under him. And instead of God's love and morality, it's the world's control and immorality. You know, false religion, wokeness, globalism, environmentalism. Not that we're not supposed to take care of the earth. The Bible tells us to do it, but it's not to be at our expense. It's not to be at the expense of children. Don't have kids to save the earth. No, no, no. Have kids. Have them cultivate the earth. Have them take care of the earth. Mysticism, psychedelic drugs, opening themselves up to spiritual experiences. 
that bumper sticker that's been out for a while coexist. Well, coexist except for, you know, if you want to tell me that there's only one way. Then you can't coexist. Karl Marx, one of the founders of basically communism. He says religion is the opiate of the masses. Communism is a godless system. Religion, man is the god. But he says that religion is what ooh, drugs people and gets them to go away. And, and Satan is going to use a false religion to do that. Remember, idolatry equals adultery. And I believe even God's people, to some extent, will be a part. The Israelites were involved in idolatry. If we look at the things the Catholic Church, at least their leadership, uh, promotes these days, the Pope is the spirit of the Antichrist. Even if we look back in the beginning of the Revelation, the seven churches, not everyone makes it. God has strong words for some of the people that claim to be the church. I've seen some videos recently on Christian artists and you know, everyone likes to make criticism and all these other things, but at the same time, we need to call out things that are false. And not, a, not in a non-repentant, unjudgment-free judgment zone way, but say, hey, look, like this is wrong. You need to be aware of it and not be influenced by it. That Christian artists are turning from biblical truth, endorsing and even living in sinful ways, being a part of Pride Month living that lifestyle and saying, isn't it great that I'm a Christian artist and I can live this way? No, it's not. And even non-people who wouldn't identify that way espousing it. And a lot of names that you would go, whoa, a lot of majority names on Christian radio. And they're all like, inter and it's sad because I'm sure many of them love the Lord, but they've drunk the ways of this world system, of this cup of abominations that is out there. This is not the same as the doctrine put forth in the tree in the garden. It appears attractive and spiritual, but it's not necessarily moral. As long as you believe what you want to believe, but don't believe in absolute truth, you're, you're ready for the harlot's seduction, the commentary says. I believe, unfortunately, the church today is largely caught up in this system. And they're so caught up in this system, I'm afraid they're not going to be caught up in the rapture. There's got to be that holiness there. The women, this woman too, hates the church, hates believers, and believers go along with it. She revels in the persecution of the godly, just as a drunk person revels in wine, the commentary says. That throughout history, tyrants have taken advantage of people and found an easy way to control people using their religion. How many politicians claim to be Christian or claim to be Catholic or claim to be of whatever religion just to get that vote? right? But then their lives don't match up. And our Western world has undergone a religious vacuum over the past century, taking God and the Bible out of everything, even the church. Separation of church and state. Well, then get your state out of my church. And thankfully, we've seen those churches in California that went and had services anyway. I think it was Calvary San Jose, and they were uh, in trouble with the state and wanted to pay fines, and they won the court case. The state can't tell them not to do that. Rules for thee, but not for me. All those politicians in charge making these laws, but us little people have to obey, but they don't have to obey, right? Because they could care less about their decrees. They know they're only good for control. And a lot of them mean well, but they're deceived. And Satan has used this throughout all of history to entrap man, just like a prostitute, and bring him under government control. Just like we see in, Pro in Proverbs. Don't go near her house. Don't go down that street. It's the same way with the world system. You can't play around with it. 
You can't go along with it. You can't compromise with it. We used to be able to compromise across the aisle politically in America. But now things are so far apart, there's no compromise. How can you compromise with someone who doesn't think a baby's a baby and that it's okay for the mom to kill it even after it's born? Where's the middle ground there? There's not. She's drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs. That is two specific groups here. It's the blood of the saints throughout all of history, but it's also this group of direct persecution of tribulation saints at the end. She loves it. She revels in it. Oh. Just picture, just wine all over, spray it all over, getting everybody drunk on it. Remember then the prophets, the two prophets, and they think they killed them after that time. The world starts giving gifts like it's Christmas because they're drunk on it. Don't be deceived. Let's go on. Verse 7 and 8. I know we got a lot to cover. Then the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw was and is not and is to ascend out of the bottomless pit. Remember the bottomless pit we saw a while back? It was opened up. The locusts and the Abaddon came out of it. And go to destruction. Those who dwell on the earth whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel when they see the beast who was and is not and is to come. Well, why do you marvel? These things should not be a mystery to us as believers. It's okay if they are now. It's okay if you've never read Revelation before and you don't understand these things. Who can truly ever fully understand them? We haven't reached them yet. They're, they're, they're huge, and that's why God has to show them to us, right? But again, like we talked about before, we may see things that are odd and think it's connected uh, and maybe want to believe otherwise. No, 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 the world's going to be okay. Everything's all right. It's getting better. There, no conspiracy theory. But the more we see that these conspiracy theories aren't really conspiracy theories, it's a little scary. But when we come to God, when we see the end, when everything is revealed as revelation and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, these things should be no mystery to us. It should be no mystery to us that the world is all coming together under globalism, looking for one world government, get rid of cash, have no currency, get rid of your security, your privacy for security that you would receive a mark and the government can track everything you do. That should be no mystery. The Bible said it for 2,000 years. Oh, okay. It should just be, all right, well, I guess that means it's almost time to go. Right? We should be ready to go to heaven. We should know that the bus is coming. But this beast who was and is not is sent out of the bottomless pit and go to destruction. We can look at it kind of like the Antichrist as well. He comes to power. He's assassinated as a false resurrection. And, uh, but also judgment and locked up for a thousand years during Jesus' reign, as we'll see in the next few chapters. Uh, but specifically this world government. We're going to see how this ties into a revived Roman Empire. An empire that was, is not, and then is revived again. Wow, it came back. And they don't really realize what's going on. We all, we, we, you know... People don't know world history, right? I don't know a lot of history, but it's scary how little some people know, and they're the people that are out there voting in masses. So they won't realize what's really happening. They'll think it's, wow, this amazing new thing. No, no, no. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. And I believe, just to touch on it, at least America in principle in the beginning was founded on godly principles. I wouldn't say we're a Christian nation anymore. I can't fly the American flag anymore, the normal American flag, in a good conscience. So I fly the Betsy Ross flag because I want to say that we need to go back to the first principles. We need to resist tyranny and we need to go back to being under God, one nation under God. And the government would call me a terrorist for that now. Yep, that leaked document by the FBI. I'm not a terrorist. I like government, but I don't like overreach. I want people to be free. 
And I say that because it's different than other nations. It was. Other nations weren't founded on that in large part. And that's what's made us different. And that's why the enemy is trying to bring us down. And the only way he's been able to bring us down is from within. But unbelievers marvel at him, at his system, at his power, at his authority, his political and enlightened genius. And they're going to follow along like the Pied Piper. And don't we see that people in the world today? Trust the science. <laughs> you know, trust the government. People who 10, 15, 20 years ago were anti-government, anti-war, are now pushing for World War III, pushing for more government. They're mad that Elon Musk wanted to buy Twitter for $50 billion, but they rejoice that the IRS is spending $80 billion <laughs> for more agents. They're blind. And remember, the government, and why do I say the government? Because the government is just people, sinful people lusting after power in some sense and some people trying to do good and some people thinking they're doing good but really all under the sway of the wicked one that the government will use all means of deception to gain and maintain control especially this last one and those who believe those who truly believe god have been marked from the beginning from the foundations of the earth they can't go along with it how can we when we know the truth and we see it for what it is why would you ever go along with it let's go on verse nine here is the mind which has wisdom I hope that my mind will have wisdom one day. But the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So the angel begins to explain it. John's going, what in the world? And the angel's saying, relax, let's take a look. I'll explain it to you. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. They are also the seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet to come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Concerning the beast who was and is not, and is the eighth and is of the seven is going to destruction. Well, you might be going like the three stooges there. What is this wordplay? Well, if we slow down and read our Bibles, it can make a little bit of sense. It says the seven heads are seven mountains. Well, mountains in the Bible are sometimes representative of governments. And even says they're also kings. So these are kings and their governments. That Rome itself, I remember taking Latin class in high school. I always knew this. Rome was on seven hills. I used to be able to name the seven hills. I can't anymore. But Rome was merely a type of this kingdom. Just like Hitler, I believe, was a type of Antichrist, right? Just like Stalin and these other world leaders who lust for power, Trudeau, in a sense, are all types of Antichrist. And Rome was that type, an ancient type that will be revived in a bigger and more powerful way. But it was a kingdom that went dormant a few thousand years ago. The, the, Roman, the Roman kingdom was on earth for a long time, took over the Greek kingdom, took over others in Africa and Europe. Um, and parts of the Middle East. And then it began to rot from within, from all the government and all the immorality and all the idolatry. And Christianity was persecuted. Christianity bloomed until around 300 years AD. The emperors began to make Christianity the official religion of Rome. And Rome adopted it, but the people didn't want it. And so, you know, when the government gets involved, it's never pure, right? So the government slapped Christianity on top of the Roman stuff. That's why we have Christi uh, Christmas in December, because it's the Roman holiday of Saturnalia, you know, the planet Saturn, the god Saturn. There's Easter is in the spring, right? We call it Easter, Ishtar, Babylon. That's the Simiramis and Tammuz we talked about, right? We're not going to get into that. But what I'm trying to say is that the empire fell, the political power fell, but the spiritual power remained and, and inside the Catholic Church, so to speak. Now, I'm not saying there aren't Catholics who can't come to Jesus. In fact, many do. Or that there aren't Catholics who truly believe in Jesus. But the system itself, the quote-unquote church itself, is corrupt. And if you don't like, I have to say that, well, well, 
I don't know enough about it, but you can read more about it, and it's pretty obvious. But Rome was a political and world-dominating powerhouse. Like I said, it was a spiritual powerhouse. And even the commentaries, a lot of people try and dig into this being solely Rome, and it's not solely Rome. It's bigger than that. When we look at something John Paul II, the Pope, said, uh, they were unleashing profound spiritual energies in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. The Pope pledged that the Catholic Church intends to share in and promote such ecumenical and interreligious cooperation. Now I get loving your neighbor, but I don't get the church doing a service with any other religion that is totally opposing of Jesus. And the Catholic Review commented on this and said, the unity of religion promoted by the Holy Father, Jesus said, don't call anyone that, but they call him that, Pope John Paul II, and approved by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. They call Pope John Paul holy, and they call the Dalai Lama holy. It's not a goal to be achieved immediately, but a day may come when the love and compassion with both Buddha and Christ, preached so eloquently, will unite the world in a common effort to save humanity from senseless destruction and lead toward the light in which we all believe. And I'll say that, yes, any truth that you find out in the world, if it's truly truth, is God's truth. But what Buddha teaches, it might be a smidgen of truth, but it is not truth because it denies Jesus and denies God and is about self. In fact, it's a doctrine of demons. But he says, five have fallen uh, in the five world empires before John's day. We have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. And then there was Rome. And Rome kind of went away. And you could say America is kind of, it's a, it's a superpower, Roman superpower, but it's not the revival of the Roman Empire, so to speak. It was God's light in the world, and I think in a sense, as many others have been before. But he says, when he comes, he must continue a short time. That this seven, seventh will quickly be taken over by an eighth, and this will become the state of the Antichrist. Um, even the commentary says, this is a plainly difficult passage to try and nail down which kingdoms it is which kings it is and i don't think we need necessarily need to understand specifically who is who other than that this is what's at work behind the scenes right we don't need to look for the antichrist to come on the scenes we need to respect to look for jesus to come back right i think it'll be super clear in the last day but there's going to be a loose alliance i believe while some will ally with the antichrist some will eventually re revolt I believe the world system will come together like it is now, and even more so. Imagine the rapture happens. How many people are reclamoring, right? And a world leader will take over that. That that's the eighth kingdom. The seventh kingdom come, it comes real quick, and then all of a sudden, pff, the Antichrist takes over the whole thing. Probably prompting some of those regions to revolt. The assassination attempt we looked at, the false resurrection, and the demand for worshiping him afterwards, right? Likely midway through his tribulation. This government comes to power, and the Antichrist takes over it. Let's go on. I know we're getting... Along the tooth here. Uh, verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom yet, but they will receive authority as kings for one hour with the beast. These are of one mind and will give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war with the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Ten horns and ten kings. These guys, maybe they're um, put in power by the Antichrist. He puts his own guys who are uh, allied to him within the power structure, right? He knocks out, the, let's say he knocked out Putin and he puts someone of his own design over uh, Russia. Isn't that what the CIA loves to do? We love to topple other nations and put our own guys in there. 
And I think that makes sense with good motive, but with bad motive, you know, nothing good is going to come out of it. But, you know, John says in 1 John 2.18, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it's the last hour. That is the end. We Many people claiming to be God, many people claiming to have spiritual authority, many people wanting to take over the world politically have come and gone in the past 2,000 years. And that's how we know it's the last hour because it gets worse and worse. And these guys, these kings, they will give all their authority to beast. Yeah, they're in charge of Russia. They're in charge of North America, but they're just figureheads. The beast is really in charge. They give all the authority to call the shots to him. And don't we see that coming in the world now? If you've heard of uh, the Davos group, Bilderberg, the G number, G8, G12, whatever, G20 conferences, are these world powers willingly coming together and close the voters, close to the outside world, people arrested for trying to get in there and figure out what they're talking about. But they, obviously, now it's all filtering down, climate change, equity, CRT, open borders, changing power structures. They're all willingly giving their power to these entities and, and, and the effort of being enlightened and the effort of going along with the, the world and the new world order, so to speak, they're giving their power over. Why? To bring about this new era, this great reset, all these words that may turn you on or turn you off to it. But the truth is, this is what's happening. No one voted for open borders. I mean, maybe you voted for the guy who wanted it, but it wasn't a policy that came from America. Look at Europe and all the immigration there and everything. And again, not against immigration, but this is not about immigration. This is about overthrowing kingdoms and transfer of power. Very similar to Babel. Remember in Babel, they all came together of one mind trying to reach God and show themselves to be God, and God struck them down. But the commentary says, and I like this, is that this Antichrist figure, this person who comes to power, he is of the seven in the sense that he shares characteristics with all previous world empires. That it's not just Rome. It's Rome and Babel and uh, America and Europe and Russia and all these great powers, all the great things. Like we use a Roman version of government here in America, right? The, the Senate and the Republic was all Roman based. So he's going to take the best parts and mix them all together into one thing that the whole world is happy with. Well, the best parts that the government thinks is the best for control. But it's been said that history rhymes. History rhymes. Even the world would say that we're in a fourth turning right now, that all this is happening. I don't know that I buy into that stuff, but if you look at it, it, it adds up. I think they're honest. I think they're seeing these things that are mystery, but they don't know how to interpret it because they don't have the Bible. I mean, even those people who call themselves anti-fascist look like the fascists that they say that they hated. They don't know history. Uh, and again, this, the commentary talks about a ten-nation confederation like the Toes and Daniel. Uh, and some might say it's symbolic. But again, we see NATO, the UN, BRIC, more and more and more aligned to that final form throughout history. It will happen, and it's going to happen, and it is happening, that they're going to have worldwide influence. I remember moving here and kind of expecting to not have the worldwide influence because we're in Montana. But nope, TV, internet, education, it's just as worldly here as anywhere else, except there's a few more people here that are uh, against those things, that have held on to Christian values. Remember in 2 Thessalonians, He's the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. But he's not. He just shows himself. But it's not true. Verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So basically the waters, there's no mystery there. 
It's the nations. It's the people. Government rides on the back of the people. When people begin to revolt, the government gets overthrown. I mean, I don't know if you saw that video of the people in Los Angeles raiding the 7-Eleven. One person goes in to rob the place, he probably gets stopped. When 100 people flood the store, what can the shopkeeper do? And the same thing with government. And that's why the government, all tyranny, tyrannical governments disarm their people. And when they disarm their people, they end up killing their people. I know we don't think it can happen here, but just look at the 20th century. Verse 16. These ten horns and the beast which you saw will hate the prostitute, and they will make her desolate, uh, desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her with fire. They're going to hate her. She was riding on the beast, but the beast turns on her. For God has put it in their hearts, for God has put it in their hearts, don't miss that, to fulfill his will and to be of one mind and to give the kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the king's ears. Remember that Jesus is Lord of Lords. This guy isn't Lord of Lords. He thinks he's in control, but God's in control. And God puts it in their hearts to turn on her. And they're going to hate her. Even in their modernity, they're going to hate the system that put them in power, that got them there. They're going to turn on it. Remember, all coexist. Everyone come together, right? But what happens? What does the Antichrist do? He says, no, forget all that. I'm God. Worship me now. He throws it. Coexist is going to go away. All that stuff is going to go away. Buddhism, Christianity, everything, it's going to worship him. And do we not see that today, that everything in our society is built on in a good way, namely Judeo-Christian values and principles, is being torn down, forcibly removed, again, like I said, through government, through, when I say education, I mean government education, government school, right? And replaced. Why do you think the government is paying off all these student loans? They influence people, but also to take over the education system, just like they took over healthcare, just like they took over the automotive sector, just like they took over housing with uh, the bailouts. You think that that money doesn't talk? You think that that money doesn't control? Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight: Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. And Psalms eleven three: If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Maranatha. When all that stuff's gone, that's all we can do. Maranatha and be martyred like they are in the end. But until then, we're not to encourage it. We're to resist it in a holy way, right? But this is only a type. If you look at all the, the revolutions that are happening, this is just a type of it. This is just one of the bigger symptoms before the final disease takes over. But the best part is that God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. That they think they're in control, but God is the one saying, no, you're wicked. You can go do that. I'll put it in your heart to do that. That God doesn't do evil, commit evil, desire evil, but he can certainly use those who are fully bent on evil to accomplish his will, right? Accomplish good. And what's his will? To wipe out evil. And so he lets evil get so evil, it begins to wipe out itself. And it's all within God's plan. And God set it up to be their judgment, to be their destruction. Psalm 2, 4, as we're getting ready to close here. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold him in derision. Ezekiel 38, 3 through 4, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rush, Meshach and Tubal, that's Russia, China, that eastern region. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all them handling swords. And we're going to see that in the next few chapters that they think they're out doing something to conquer the world, but it's God who's put a hook in their jaw and pulling them down into that valley of Megiddo. We looked at last time when the river dried up, right? 
And God throughout history has used Israelites' enemies both to bring discipline on them and to change the world. And make no doubt about it, when there's no freedom left to take from the people, the government will begin to devour itself. Oh, we've already taken over all the people. Okay, well now there's going to be a coup for this part of the government to take over this part of government. There's going to be espionage. There's going to be political targeting. Well, look at what we're facing today. Political targeting of many different ways. Using the law to try and well, suppose the law. But once the power has been consolidated, once that whole world system comes together, the Antichrist no longer needs the help of religious Babylon, the commentary says. He will then work to dismantle and destroy her in one world religion. And he's going to make his own, like we saw. Let's go on. Uh, the great city Babylon rules over the kings of the earth. This is a capital city. The world's going to have a capital. It's not maybe Babylon and Iraq. But if it's a revised Roman Empire, if this Babylonian system, there's going to be a capital somewhere. Like the U.S. capitals, we have Washington, D.C. That there's going to be a centralized state of power, like we saw earlier, about the darkness poured out on his throne and on his kingdom. There's going to be a place that's like that. Um, I have to pull a, 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 an Alistair Begg. He loves to quote old songs. This is an old Rush song for you, Mia, from Digital Man, I think 1980. He says, he'd love to spend the night in Zion, He's been a long, long while in Babylon. That As people are involved in this world system, I think in these last days it's turning people away from it. And hopefully to God. You see all sorts of people who are total leftists and they're going, this is ridiculous. And it's turning them to seek the truth. And hopefully they come to Jesus. But there's a contrast between the culmination of all of Earth's desires into a final city, a final world government, a dictatorship, a supposed utopia ruled over by none other than Satan who they think is their Messiah who tells them everything they want to hear. They have itching ears, right? A false heaven, a false world order versus the new Jerusalem, Zion, a heavenly city with true light, true goodness, with a new earth, uh, with no memory of the former things. The real great reset is when Jesus comes back, ruled and uh, lighted by him himself. We won't need the stars anymore. Because charity through government is not charity at all. Just because they have a badge doesn't mean that they're not a thief, right? Now, I'm all for taking care of people, but that's the church's job. But you see the world today. Steal from the rich. Take from the rich. Make them do their fair share. Why? Who says it's their fair share? Who says they haven't done their fair share? Are you not just jealous that they're rich and they paid a lawyer to find the tax loopholes and the laws that you voted for with your politicians? Do you not just want to take their fair share and give it to you? But Babylon, the commentary says, the questions for Christians is, does it reign over me? Or am I the citizen of a better city, thy Jerusalem above? We are citizens of heaven. We are sojourners in this world. We are passing through this world. Don't be caught up in it. And God, I pray that um, you would help us to see the truth by your scripture, that you remind us of the scripture, that God, we'd be in the world, and we'd be, uh, uh, but of heaven, not of the world, that we'd be a good to the world. We'd be involved with government as we can to try and bring about righteousness. But we ultimately know that, God, until you come back, it's never going to work. It's never going to be perfect. And it's never going to be the answer. And anytime the government claims to be the answer, we should know right away. No, no, no. You're the answer, God. So be our answer. Help us try and restore pillars. But God, truly, we just say Maranatha. We want to go home. We don't need this world. We want you to come back. So do so and bring many to you until then. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul With all our 
troubles left behind the door. We drink first light until the door.